1: Hello there and welcome to the Adoption Chronicles. As you might have guessed, I'm Michael Shepard and uh, I might have been away for a little while but uh, my mind and my heart has always been thinking about my next uh, story and uh, my next person who I'm going to catch up with. And in the break that I've been having, I've been catching up with myself, um, which I think is something that we all all should be doing and in putting things back together again um i've helped my wife with her podcast um uh, and producing that uh, which has been fun and also thinking about who my guests should be on uh when i make uh, the uh reappearance or a restart or However, you'd like to call it my little sojourn back into life. I um, have decided to go all the way back to episode one and bring on my very, very first guest as a as a catch up again. Um, and Diane has been, uh, I would say, instrumental in most of the stories of the people that we tell, uh, you know, uh, talk to, and she's helped. So many adoptees find their family. Uh, Welcome back, Diane.
2: Hi, Mick, and thanks for the opportunity to put it out there, what I do.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, And I think before we get right into it, I'd just like to uh, go over again part of the intent of what this podcast is all about, and... There's a few different arms and legs to the whole story, and I like how it all comes together in the one intended uh, outcome, which is to help people tell their stories. But what I've learned over, I guess, the last year or so is that by hearing other people's stories... We get an appreciation of our own story, and that was the reason why I started it because I was trying to learn more about my uh, my life, my adoption story, and in getting uh, to the bottom of that, I wanted to learn and read and and hear other people's journey through life, being an adopted person, and joined a different websites, different uh, Facebook groups, and I started reading other people's stories, and soon came to the realisation that I didn't have all the time to dedicate to reading other people's stories, so the next evolution to that was finding podcasts to listen to, so while I'm driving around, I can listen to other people's stories, and it wasn't as easy as as that. I found as most of the websites or most most of the podcasts, I should say, had an agenda. They were pushing some kind of angle on it. They were pro this or anti that, and I only wanted to hear real people, real stories, and from with with no agenda, um, and that. That's um, something that I thought might work. And so part of the uh, setup and getting the ball rolling um, was talking to somebody who had been talking to many adoptees herself, um, and that was you, Diane. And that was, I think, uh, a pretty good way to start the Adoption Chronicles. Yeah, I
2: think that very first episode... Um i had a lot of people contact me after listening to that Um, a lot who weren't aware of how dna testing actually works yep and how they're able to identify unknown birth parents without a close match dna testing Yep. so um for me that was that was a good thing and listening to the interviews since then with whether it be adoptees or birth mothers or siblings of adoptees or whatever has also helped to teach me um, what I need to know in trying to help adoptees. So yeah. it's been a good lesson for me as well.
1: Yeah, because one of the, um, I guess, part of the, the timeline in, in finding those answers, the first thing that, that we need to do as adopted people or even as adoptive parents is to make the decision of uh, whether you want to search or not. And some of us have that search, like that decision taken away because the other party searches us out, which, you know, yeah. that's that's part of the deal. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess part of my story is, I, and I've told it before, my birth mother searched me out many years ago before... DNA testing was around, and mm-hmm. um, that's since come to its natural conclusion. And yep. for me, there is um, still an avenue open where I don't know who my birth father is, and yep. so I've I've thought about what I should do, um, mm-hmm. what it means. my family um what it can potentially mean for him and his family um and Mm -hmm. so a lot of the questions are like does he does he even know i would assume the story that i've been told is that he did but um at the same time that's one half of the truth one half of the story Mm -hmm. and that's there's no verification that that version is true either. Correct. Um, That's right. And so, yeah, there's a lot of time going into coming up with a decision. Um, mm. Now, at, at this stage, um, I've decided not to pursue that. Um, yeah. And, and part of that is because I'm happy in my life as it stands at the moment and – Yep. um I don't I don't have a reason that's big enough I think that's where I'm at at the moment mm. now that could change um mm. and it might be too late and that's on me um yeah and that's something that I'm willing to take but other people and have you helped or, or spoken with other people while they're making that decision Diane or have they come to you post that decision?
2: Yeah, I've actually got a couple of clients that I'm working with at the moment who are, who are at that stage as well, where they're deciding whether to pursue it or not. Yeah. Um, uh, and, like, the only advice I can really give, like, of course, everyone has got to be ready yep. themselves to do it because there's the fear of rejection, you know, there's fear of opening a can of worms and I get all that stuff. Yeah. But having said that, life is short and birth parents are getting older
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the longer adoptees leave it, obviously the less chance there is that that birth parent is still alive. Yes. And there's nothing worse than, than telling an adoptee, look, you just missed your birth father by three weeks or, yeah. you know, three months or, or whatever. But another kind of option that kind of sits in the middle with that um, mm-hmm. that I suggest to people in that situation is perhaps to DNA test. hmm let one of the search angels work with your DNA results to identify your birth father and then remove your DNA you will have the knowledge of who your birth father is right but um, and then at whatever point that you do decide to that you want to contact them you can then take it a step further or not Um, but at least you'll have the knowledge of who that person is. But it's not just who your father is. It's your whole family history. Mm. It's your paternal grandparents, your Mm -hmm. great-grandparents, you know, going back hundreds of years. Mm. Um, But just because your DNA test doesn't mean your DNA results are there all the time. You can remove them at any point. Right. I didn't know that. Hmm. So that or turn your matches off. It's another you can either delete your account or turn your matches off, which whichever so that your DNA matches can't see um, that you're a match,
1: right? Because I've even because when the when I guess on the ancestry website they started uh, promoting it, and I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to actually find out all about my ancestry and you know what country. Makes me yep. like I'm. Mm-hmm. My adoptive family have heritage through England and Scotland, mm-hmm. and I naturally identify that way. But I know that I have no idea. I know that my mm-hmm. birth mother is Caucasian, but I don't know if she's got German ancestry or Scottish ancestry or mm. English or Welsh or whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah. Initially, I thought I might do that to find out all of the different percentages. And and then I found out about that there's a lot more information that you get than just that.
2: Mm. It's really quite fascinating. Like, ancestry is continually advancing or progressing. And, like, just at the moment. So it will divide all your your ethnicities and your DNA matches up into parent one, parent two. Right. And you can see exactly what percentage of ethnicities you inherited from each parent. Okay. So, yeah, it's quite amazing what they, what they can do at the moment. But for adoptees that are a little bit nervous about DNA testing and a close match popping up, I always suggest that they turn their matches on in the middle of the night.
0: Okay. get up
2: at two o'clock or three o'clock have a look at your matches if you've got a close match you can and you you know you get spooked you can turn your matching off but if you haven't got a, cl- a close match um, there's really probably not a lot to worry about
0: right you
1: cause know
0: as what...
2: in the other DNA matches can't identify you
1: oh okay because one of the things I was thinking that might happen like if I was and after I found out that you know, a little bit more than if I yep. was to do my DNA and do nothing mm-hmm. then yep. if other people from my from my birth family had done it and they see me and they yep. might go, Well who the hell are you? Where did you yep. where did you come from? And I'm sitting there on the sideline going, Well
2: <laughs> 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 Which brings me to the next thing is a good idea is always to use a username on ancestry. Right. Don't use your real name, you can be Snow White or you know Mickey Mouse or whoever you want to be. Um, you know that way you haven't got the invasion of privacy with people yeah. Facebook stalking you and all the rest of it so yeah. always use your
1: username Yeah okay so that and make it a, would you advise to make a, a username that's quite obvious as a a fake name?
2: Yeah, absolutely right absolutely doesn't matter what you use as long as it's not your own name.
1: Right. Okay. And that protects you as well as the other family too.
2: That's right. That's right. And, you know, just because someone messages you, you've got no obligation to reply. Yep. And, in fact, I always say to, to um, adoptees when they first get their DNA results, if any of their DNA matches, message them, don't reply. Right. Um the number one newbie mistake and can ruin any chance of a successful reunion is having contact with your DNA matches. If you absolutely must reply, just I would just reply with hi, I've just only just got my DNA results. I haven't had time to process everything. I'll get back in touch once I have.
0: Yeah.
1: Just
2: something very generic just to be polite. Yeah. Um but don't give them any information.
1: And that would be really hard. I assume, not I assume, I would know exactly how hard it is because this is something that, you know, it, it, it always ticks away in the back of your mind. You might not think about it like in the forefront of your mind on a daily basis, but it's always there. And mm-hmm. any change in your thought processes, any change in or update of of your life story can be yeah. really exciting. And nerve-wracking and impulsive decisions can Mm -hmm. be easily made. That's right.
2: Look, look, I get the excitement. You get your DNA results. You know, you've spent your whole life Mm. where where perhaps the only people biologically related to you are your own children.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, Prior to that, you've had no birth family whatsoever, and all of a sudden you've got 11,000 DNA matches. You know, 11,000 people that share your DNA, it's like, wow, I've got all this family out there. Yeah. And I get it, it can be very scary and exciting, um, but this is where you've, you've really just got to proceed with caution, um, you know, and not rush in. Yeah. I kind of think of it this way. You know, if someone spent 40 years being an adoptee and not knowing their birth family, don't rush in all in one week. No. You know. But take your time now. Now's yeah. the time to step back and go slowly. Yeah, And you want to give yourself the best possible chance of a successful reunion and having contact with your DNA matches is not the way to go about it.
0: That's a and we
2: point. see this time and time again, you know, despite all the wars, yep. people contact their DNA matches and before long, you know, they're saying, look, you know, I'm adopted and I'm searching for my birth father and all yeah. of a sudden the family. The DNA match will
1: shut down. It's a, it's a little bit like driving a car in that mm. the speed limit is there at 60 in yep. high built-up areas and yep. you're driving that car and you say to your passenger, but this car can go 120. I need to push mm. it. I need to go faster. <laughs> and then you yeah. do that and you have an accident.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, we'd say just just proceed, like, working with DNA, it's a step-by-step methodical process. Everyone wants to jump, you know, jump over that process and get straight to the answer.
1: Well, funny you should say that because as far as a step-by-step process, maybe we should wind it back a touch and let's start the DNA process from from scratch, say... I've decided to change my mind,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I want to do a DNA and find out more about my birth family, um, my okay. birth father. What yep. is my first step? So where do I okay. need to go to to get the test?
2: Yeah, so your first step is to go to the Ancestry website and just order a basic DNA kit. Yep. They're normally around the $129 mark, but often during the year they'll have specials on
1: Okay.
2: Um, Mother's Day. For- day whatever yep so ancestry will send you out a dna kit what you get is a little tube that you have to spit into okay um you have to activate it online you set up a free ancestry account and activate it online so then you pop it back in the satchel
1: so you don't need to be a paid member of ancestry.com
2: no no you just set up a free account okay um, you pop it in the little post-paid satchel so you don't have to pay for postage and you just stick it in a post box somewhere and about eight weeks later, your DNA results will come into Ancestry. Right. And you'll get an email say, your DNA results are now available, log into your Ancestry account and you'll log into your Ancestry account and all your DNA matches will be there. Right. Eight
1: weeks, eight so,
2: Yeah, about eight weeks. So it actually... Goes to Ireland and then to the USA, right? Um, for testing, so it's a bit of a bit of a hike. Yeah. Um, so then, what you're going to get is a list of DNA matches, like thousands and thousands, probably twenty thousand of them. For wow. example,
1: okay,
2: it could be from really close family right down to eighth cousins. Wow. Um, now, like when I started this page, my page with DNA. I had read a lot of DNA pages, and honestly, I just about got an instant brain tumour reading some of the rubbish segments and chromosomes and triangulation. I'm like, what the heck? I try to keep it real and bring it right back down to the basics. All you really need to know is what CMs are. CM stands for centimorgans, and that's the unit that DNA is measured in. Right. The higher this, all your DNA matches will have a CM match, a CM reading. The higher the amount of CMs they share with you, the more closely related.
1: Okay. Right. So are, are they, that, is it a similar test? Um, I'm just going to go back to the 90s a little bit and, um, you know, the, the talk shows like Morrie where he would say, oh, we've done the DNA test and he is not your son or whatever. Yeah. Is it yeah. the same type of test what they did back then or, like, does uh, it show?
2: On, the, I, I would imagine that was just D, private DNA testing. Right. Where that person and the child would DNA test and they compare.
1: Um, um, yeah. Yeah. It was early days so, back then, I guess. Just
2: one-on-one kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So the percentages would be pretty high for a a parent and a child? Is it, yes. Is it similar? Like is it over 80% and then that's the parent or how does the...
2: Well, just just say you've got a parent match, it yep. might be 3,400 CMs. Right. Just say, whereas something like, say, a second cousin or whatever might be Say two hundred and fifty cm's, ah. um, but what what Ancestry does it labels everyone as um, first cousin, second cousin, third cousin. Ah. That is just a really rough guesstimate. They just kind of bundle everyone with similar cm's into the one group
0: right. and
2: label them as one first cousin, second cousin, third cousin, or whatever. It's really the cm's that you need to look at. So there's two ways you work out how those matches are related to you. One is by looking at the amount of CMs they share with you. Yep. And there's a limited amount of relationships for that amount of CMs. Okay. And the second one is by looking at who they share. Right. So for you to be a DNA match to anybody, you've got to have the same common ancestors, whether yep. it be you've got the same great 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 grandparents or the same great grandparents, somewhere along the line you've got the same ancestors as all you, all of your DNA matches. Yep. So the people that all share and match with each other belong to the one family group. They've all got the one common ancestor. Right. So for example, like if just so like we were looking at identifying your birth father, yep. what we would do is first of all eliminate all the matches on your birth mother's side. Right. What we'd have left is the matches on your birth father's side. Then we'd break them down into family groups. And just say you had a whole bunch of matches that all had the same Taylor ancestors. And then just say you had a whole other bunch of uh, matches that all had the same Henderson ancestors. Yep. And then we'd work down, and then we might find the marriage of Bob Taylor to Mary Henderson. Right. Who may be your paternal grandparents. That would explain why you'd have DNA matches connecting to the Taylor side and the Henderson side. Right. Because one grandparent would be a Taylor and the other would be a Henderson.
1: Yeah, of course.
2: If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, a
2: little bit more involved than that but that's the gist of it
1: right okay and how do those cns differ when you're identifying a family group
2: um all the cms give you is the post what the possible relationship is of that person to you right so the more cms they are the more closely related um and you might have like a like a DNA match that's say 250CMs. And it, that person might share a match with people who are all lesser CMs. because the higher the, the CM reading, that person is
0: 250
2: is obviously a lot closely relate, more closely related than the people with lesser CM readings. Right. So what what we'd start to do at that point, once we identified who the common ancestors were, and just say we identified someone back in, just say, the 1850s, a couple, just say all these DNA matches seem to descend from this one couple back in the 1850s, yep. we'd then start our, start your tree, your father's tree, with that couple back in the 1850s, yep. and then we'd start to work forward adding your DNA matches to the tree.
1: Right. Hmm. It is Interesting. I think um mm. I think it's nearly um the the more you go back in time, the more interesting it is um that's right yeah, because you kinda have to guesstimate a lot of their particular story, um yeah, where they were, who they met, what they did, um and then yeah. I guess there's an uncovering of other records as well. I would assume,
2: they're available. That's right. Then we can find, like, once we've identified who those, so just say you've got an interest in, you want to know if you're descended from a convict.
0: Right.
2: We would then look at those early ancestors and then there's lots of other places we can look at to find out if they were convicts.
0: Right.
2: You know, we can look at um, old cemetery records. We can look at state records. We can look at newspapers online, death notices, birth notices, Um. Mail records, criminal records. There's lots of other um, records that we can then look at once we've established your direct family line to find out who they were and where they came from and what they did and old electoral rolls, which gives us their occupations.
0: Yeah, right.
2: There's all sorts of things you can find out. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, because I think one of the questions that pops up over and over again is nature versus nurture. And mm-hmm. it does seem as though I think it's f- nearly 50-50 in that who you are is made up of your experiences but in at the same time you've, you're going to have character traits that are genetic.
2: Yeah, I would agree with
1: that. Yeah. yeah. I think um, we
2: discussed last time yeah uh, with a few of the clients I'd worked with how they were just so similar to their birth family with the occupation you know and stuff like that their interests
0: yeah um,
2: you know that that their adoptive families had no interest in um, and yet their birth family did so a lot of it is genetic you
1: know yeah and you know I guess that's some um, yeah, it's all, all part of the story, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, that's right. and, and what makes it interesting? what makes what makes people interesting interesting? Um, yeah. and, and and you see the light bulb moments, oh I um like sport, for example, and then you hear yeah. the contacts or the the birth family are into sport as well, or car racing and motor mechanics yeah. and things like that. Um,
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah and I think that's that's a little bit like you know it's it's like when adoptees meet their birth family for the first time and all of a sudden they see someone that looks like them. Yeah. And I think knowing that their birth family will like them in other ways is kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, if if you're a mechanic and you find out your birth father was a mechanic it's like like that recognition, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, God, he was like me, you yeah. know. He was interested in cars and whatever, whatever.
1: Yeah. How many people do you think you've, uh, and your team have been able to help Diane? Oh, gosh.
2: I think last year, I think our total for last year was around, uh, we re- reunited 100 and, I think it was 152. Um, adoptees with their birth family. Wow! Uh, so most years, where we sit around between 100 and 150 yeah, right. um, cases solved. It just depends on how many clients we get, how quickly we can solve a case. Yeah. Um, you know how many search angels are available available at any given time.
1: Yep.
0: Um,
2: and how good your DNA matches are, too. I guess.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. But
2: how- but having said that, you don't need you don't necessarily need good DNA matches to be able to solve a case.
1: Right. Okay. You know, we've
2: been able to solve cases with nothing closer than the third cousin match.
1: Wow. Yeah, right.
2: So you know, it, it is it's not so much about how closely related they are, but um, more about the different family groups that you've got with your DNA matches. Yep. Um, as opposed to how closely related they are.
0: Right, okay.
2: So if you've got good good DNA matches on both paternal grandparents' sides, you know, it's really just a matter of working down both lots of um, families until you find where they intersect, which is the marriage of your paternal grandparents.
1: Right. Um, as far as um, solving a case or, 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 f- or finding a connection, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to ask about success rates and all that kind of stuff because each case is individual and I don't think that's quite yep. fair. But mm-hmm. I'm, and I am interested in knowing how many families, like children and the parents have been separated by state? Like, for argument's sake, um, is it more common that an adopted child would find their birth parents and they're in the same state? Or how often have has there been a move into state? Mm,
2: hard to say. Like, some of our um, adoptees, we've found the birth parents living overseas. Right. You know, so really the parents could be anywhere yeah um, but this the same goes the other way Absolutely. The birth parent, you know looking for the child the child could be living
0: anywhere right
2: so it, it yeah I, yeah i don't know what the stats would be but we we get a fair few where you know date or move country yep so and, um, Especially with New Zealand because yeah. um, a, lot, a lot of young girls were sent here to have their babies and then returned to New Zealand. So, right. you know, you might start looking at the DNA results of an adoptee that doesn't yet have her paperwork and all her DNA matches are New Zealanders. Um, you know, you can more or less work that out before she even gets record that
0: yeah,
1: right. both
2: birth parents have, have come from New Zealand.
1: Does that make it harder?
2: Um, it does because uh, I'm not as familiar with um, New Zealand records, but we do have a couple of search angels that kind of have their own little areas of um, what they specialise in and what they what they've got access to and things like that. So... If I can't find something, I might discuss it with the group and someone else may be able to find something. And that's where our research assistants come in. We've got, I think, four or five research assistants now as well as our DNA search angels.
0: Yep.
2: So they do a lot of the background work for us um, to free up our time to just work on the DNA. Right. So they'll do the research behind things. To get us the information
1: we need to get further with the case okay and about how long so thinking about the process again the results mm-hmm. come in um yeah. is there a typical time that you have from this when you receive the results to when you can start to piece together um matches or is straight- that variable straight away
2: As soon as the results come in, and and this is, you know, this is one of my biggest problems is, so on on Adoption Search Australia, I run a four-part tutorial where I teach adoptees how to identify unknown birth parents from their DNA results. Yep. If they need assistance, I'm there or one of the other search angels will be allocated the case and will stay on that case until solved.
0: Yep.
2: The angels work... um, just one case at a time and stay on it until solved. But, you know, I get a lot of adoptees contact me and say, oh, look, I've had my results for a year or two years and, you know, I've looked at it and looked at it and I can't work out who my father is. And you say, well, have you followed any kind of methodical process? No. And you can look at their DNA results. And, like, we had a couple just a few weeks ago. I think I had three in the one week that had had their DNA results for a while, and I was able to solve all three cases within a few hours. Wow. Now, they, they'd been sitting on those cases for, you know, one and two years. Wow. But because they hadn't actually done anything to, you know, I always say it's like following a recipe. Yep. Yep. Someone said make a sponge cake, I wouldn't have a clue, but give me a recipe and I can follow it and it'll turn out perfect. Yeah. It's so the same with DNA. You've got to have a methodical step-by-step process that you work through to be able to do it. You, you can sit and stare at your DNA results till you blue in the face. The, the answer's not going to jump out. You've got to work with your DNA to identify your birth parent. So, And it's just like with these cases, just because I've been doing it for so long, sometimes I can do the first couple of steps in my head without needing paper or without needing to build a tree and can solve it very quickly. But that's just experience. You know, and a lot of the other search angels are the same. They can very quickly in their head do stuff that once upon a time when we first started we'd have to it down on paper or we'd have to build a tree or whatever and now we we can do it very quickly um, but for most adoptees if they just followed the steps they would come either they would be able to solve their own case or they would probably come very close and just need that assistance yeah to get them over the finish line.
1: so if somebody's listening to this for the first time and have and it's helped them make a decision Um, Mm -hmm. where can they find you for assistance?
2: Okay, so I think I'm the only Diane Cuff on Facebook in Australia. Okay. So you can either just message me direct or you can request to join my Adoption Search page, which is called Adoption Search Australia. Yep. And once you're in the group, yeah, and I can get you started with your either your DNA results or your search or essentially I'll meet the adoptee with wherever they're at right. and we can go there.
1: Cool. And they'll also be able to uh, find some links to other episodes of the Adoption Chronicles there as well.
2: That's right. They will. And They will.
1: And, and people tell their stories on there and I think they also help with the decisions because that's what it's all about is coming to a decision for what you think is best for you um that's right
2: and i think like listening to other stories i think um adoptees realize that all these other people have been in the same position as them yeah previously um and that they're not alone and everyone there kind of, well, I'm not adopted, so I don't know firsthand, but there's a lot of people on that page that are, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and it's really a good support group. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's very empathetic and supportive and understand exactly what the adop- adoptees going through. But can I just say in relation to birth fathers, yep. uh, one thing the adoptee will need to do once we've identified the birth father from DNA results on my adoption page in the files section I've got a little paragraph that needs to be sent to the birth father and it just very simply explains how we've been able to identify him from the adoptee's DNA results as being the father because often adoptees write to birth fathers and they're like, well, I don't remember your birth mother or,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, how do you know I'm your father? So this little paragraph just just explains very simply how we've been able to um, come to that conclusion. Um, and I will say that I'm always surprised at how many birth fathers step up to the plate once they've been identified and it's been explained to them how we've been able to prove they're the the birth father from the adoption records um and yeah of course there's going to be the ones that don't want anything to do with the adoptee or aren't interested or deny it was them but on the whole um a lot of the cases we've worked on the birth fathers have stepped up to the plate and you've got to remember too that they're kind of the silent party in all this they had no say in um, a child being given up for adoption, um, and often they did know about the pregnancy. So, you know, in, in fairness to them, um, you know, they didn't have a say in it. So they're kind of a bit like the meat in the sandwich with the whole whole adoption thing.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, and I guess um. Sometimes they they may not have known. Sometimes they yes. would have. Um, um, I guess it's all all about knowledge. Um, That's right. And i'll um, I'll put up the adoption search Australia um, in the show notes as well. Um, That'd be awesome. And if and and part of what this podcast is about is telling people's stories. So if you're mm-hmm. listening to this podcast, I thank you straight up. Um, I appreciate it. Um, but if you want to tell your story, um, yeah, hit me up and we'll have a chat. And that's what it's all about. I, I yeah, give you all the freedom to tell your story where how you want to tell it um, without pressure of poking too hard. I don't think I'll poke hard because that's not the point. Um, yeah. The point is the story, not the dirt, because I'm yeah I'm not about that, um, nor an angle. It's 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 helping people find the information they need to create a decision for themselves, and that's that's where I'm at. And I think the Facebook group uh, is a brilliant safe place for adopted people and. Uh, Birth families as well, birth parents, um, and since I've been doing this podcast, I've become more aware of some of the jibes in in the media, um, in society, like even like a black sheep in a in a normal. When I say a normal family, I mean the the real socially accepted. Um, family, where you know you, you you're with your birth family, and they say, "Oh, well, that's a bit weird. You you didn't come from me. You must be adopted, right?" That yeah. one um, hurts. Um, even though you know you might brush it off, but there's nothing like that in in the group. We we look after each other. Um, if somebody's hurting, I reckon we'll get around them um, and help help each other out, which is what it's all about.
2: Yeah, that's right, Nick. I think that's what we try to offer there is like a beginning to end service um, for adoptees that are just starting out on their, their search right up to when they uh, find their birth parents and then decide whether or not to make contact. And it's everything in between and the things that people that, that adoptees go through at each stage of that journey Um you know, like you'll often see them post on the page about where they're at and what yeah. it felt like for them, and um, you know, where well, you've seen yourself. You, you, you know, the supportive comments of from other people who've been in, in their shoes.
0: So.
1: Yeah, and it's not just one or two people that get around a certain individual. the The, the conversation rolls, and the, the, the it's a string. It's it's a lot of people getting in and 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 creating a safe environment for mm. that conversation to happen. Um, yeah. And that's what's required because yeah. it's such an emotional journey because it's, it's, sure. it's, it's something that has been with us since we were born and and yeah. started even before we were born. The decision of how our lives have turned out was made by other people and we had no say in it, and I, it's understandable the level of emotion attached to that decision, and the feeling of uh, of every individual is different. Um, mm. Like I, I'm completely comfortable with my life and how it's turned out, um, and I. Doubt whether I'd change anything. I didn't have it easy growing up. i not a part of a, a wealthy family. Um, but at the same time, I love my family. I love my the, the people I grew up with, my cousins um, and my uncles and aunties. I think I'd be a lesser person if I didn't grow up with them. So I'm grateful for that. Whether it's a sliding door moment or fate or whatever you call it, Um, me personally, I try to deal with the here and the now and what's happened in the past is part of what's made me as a person. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I try to look forward um, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at personally. And I'm not saying that that's what other people should do. But that's, I guess you could say that's my coping mechanism and mm. it's made me a really determined person to, to to forge ahead and not let things get in my way, which yeah. you know, some people call it pig-headedness. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, um, and, and, and with all the, those experiences, we, we get around and help each other.
2: You know i think i think um my thing is you know not being an adoptee i don't have first-hand experience but i just have this really strong belief that everyone's got a right to know where they came from yeah and know the circumstances that brought into being their very existence yeah it's just a fundamental right that we all have you know adoptee or not adopted yep. um So anything I can do or our group can do to enable people to have that knowledge, to me, is a good thing, whether they make contact or they don't make contact, just having the knowledge of who their birth family is or was.
1: Yeah. And I can't tell you how uh, blown away I am that you, not being an adopted person, have dedicated so much of your life to helping us that that blows me away because one thing that I've always kind of thought in the back of my mind is that, like, I know when I meet um, other adopted people and I've even said this to my wife who's not adopted, but I'm like, um, I don't think anybody can know what it feels like to be adopted unless you're adopted. And Yeah,
2: and I, I get that.
1: I think you've got a fair handle on it, though, by... Um, by, by your actions, I think um, mm. they speak much more louder than any words ever can.
0: Mm,
2: thank you, Mick. It's, it really is a passion. So, you know, I just want to be able to give people answers. I couldn't imagine myself going through my life not knowing who my parents were. So, you know, if I can help other people to find out who their birth family was, well, that's good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's more than good. Um
0: thank
1: you. Absolutely fantastic. And I think that's a pretty good um note to to wrap it up on. Um and yep. thank you so much for coming back on, Diane. You're my very first uh return guest. Um wow. and- I'm special. Absolutely. (laughs) And I guess the invitation for any of my previous guests to come back on for a catch-up, just to see how you guys are going, if there's been any developments with your story, you're all 100% more than welcome, um, and I'd love to catch up. And I think um, our listeners would love to hear um, the development of your stories too because stories don't just end with what we've been telling, they continue on. and yeah, more than happy to to share the love, share everybody's story. What well, might not be love, but it's a story, and it's really important that people hear it. So, yeah,
0: um,
2: and I think it's important that um, adoptees are heard. Yeah, you know, like like as you said, right in the beginning, they had no choice of the circumstances of which direction to take. Yeah. So I think it is very important that now they are um, finally heard
1: to
0: be Absolutely. able to tell
1: this story. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more uh, open. Um, and I felt even growing up that it wasn't necessarily a dirty little secret. It was some people's dirty little secret, but we were kind of keeping it on the down low more than anything else. Like I don't walk yeah. into a group of people and say, hi, I'm Mick, I'm adopted. That's not how it <laughs> works. Um, yeah. But... Eventually after you break the ice a little bit, it might come up in conversation, but it might not. Um yeah. and there's you know, not necessarily a shame attached to it, but the people who aren't adopted do tend to look I don't know, there's a difference to it's a difference to it. Um yeah. and 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 I'm glad that we're becoming more open and talking about mm. it openly. So Me too. Absolutely. Thanks again, Diane, for coming on, and uh, we'll talk again soon.
2: No worries, Mick. Thank you
1: very much. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was my episode one guest, and whatever episode it is now, I can't even remember, but we're in um, the 30s or 40s or or whatever, but Diane's a very special guest on the show, and... As always, you can look her up on Facebook as Diane Cuff and her search page for helping adopted people is Adoption Search Australia. Uh, Until next time, bye from now.